see you all. Um, this topic of the heart journey is, uh, is a really special one for us as a community. It's certainly something we've been journeying through for the last 12 or 13 years. So Paradox Church has existed for 14 years. This, well, this is our 14th year. And uh, it's been a great journey. Uh, it be, and it began very much with a, with a yielded journey to God. So just being, Lord, whatever you want to do, we don't want to just follow conven conventions for the sake of following kind of church conventions and do things because that's what churches do. We just really wanted to be led by God uh, in everything uh, that we've done. And, uh, and so it kind of the heart journey is part of what God led us into um, for tonight and for the next three weeks at least. Um, well, I'll just let you know, if you don't know, Kingdom Life is our kind of leadership equipping training program uh, that we've just started this year. Uh, it's open for anyone. Uh, you can come along to any of the sessions uh, on any Wednesday night. Uh, we also have what's called Greenhouse, which is a mentoring program that runs alongside that. So normally we would do like a teaching session and then anyone who's come along who's not part of Greenhouse would then kind of go and then we'll kind of carry on with some mentoring stuff. But for the next three weeks, just with extras kind of coming and wanting to, to hear about it, uh, we're going to do things a bit differently. Um, but you can also follow along online. All of the videos from the past sessions are all posted online. Uh, it's all free and available and accessible to everyone. Um, I, I do apologize if I come across at any point as mildly incoherent. I am just recovering from a head cold, so I've got something to blame for my incoherency. Um, but uh, I'm, yep, I'm pushing through. We're going to do this. Amen? Um, and also, we really want to create an opportunity for dialogue. So a lot of what I've, I don't know where you're at on your journey with Jesus. I don't know where you're at in terms of your, your theological background, uh, where you're coming from. Uh, and we, we're not trying to represent a particular denomination or theological perspective. We're really just trying to dig things out of, of the scriptures. But um, because everyone's going to be in different places, we, we also want to create an opportunity to, uh, to kind of to have questions, to wrestle things out, to, to do all of that. How we do that in a, in a constructive format, we'll, we'll see. Um, but you need to know that you have permission to disagree with what I'm saying. You have permission to ask questions, to challenge ideas and concepts. That's kind of, that's just what we do here. Uh, it's, this is not um, Brad's ideas uh, and you've just got it, your job is to follow them. No, we, we, we want to wrestle till we get to that point of truth. We're all on that same pursuit of we just want Jesus, we just want, we just want to be like him, do what he does and do what he's saying and, and be in partnership with him. So we're not trying to represent a particular uh, perspective. Um, but that really only comes through that kind of discussion and, and wrestle. We love to wrestle. Um, so please, if, if at any point when we open up for questions and you have a question, oh, it's a bit of a curly one, or I don't know if I agreed with that point, or I maybe have a different perspective, um, please share it. And, uh, and we'll, we might have a wrestle in front of everyone. And that's a good thing. Wrestling's good. Questioning is good. Um, I, I love, I remember hearing someone say, I think they said there's a difference between being, like disagreeing with something and being disagreeable. Um, so we don't want to have, if you're just a disagreeable person, uh, that might not work. Um, but if you disagree with something, you're like, hey, I want to I I understand where you're coming from. And, and equally, we want to understand where you're coming from because 
we're not here to represent our own ideas or our own perspectives. We're here to search out the truth of what God has to say. Um, so that's why we love to wrestle because there is no single person that has all of the truth outside of Jesus. Uh, and even when we come like to the scriptures, how many different perspectives there can be on one particular verse. So we know we are, we are dependent upon uh, the spirit of truth to lead us into all truth as Jesus promised, but that's kind of what sometimes the wrestle is. So um, is that cool? But please, if you have questions as I'm sharing, it, it might not be at every moment we can stop and answer that question, but just write it down. Uh, and if you don't get to answer, ask it you know, tonight or over the next couple of weeks, you can even email us through and, and we can have that discussion. So um, my heart is for, is for the, the body of Christ, for the church to thrive and to, to live in its fullness as Jesus intended. And, uh, and so we really just want to, we've just created this space to help um, people to, to kind of go on that journey together. Is that cool? Yeah. Awesome. The other thing I wanted to say is a lot of what I'm sharing, obviously it's based in, in biblical truth. We can find it in the scriptures, um, but it's not a, a theoretical theology that I'm presenting to you. Uh, this is tried and tested in a community of people. So we have applied and seen the transformative effects of the heart journey in this church community. And I can ask of those who are here, who has been transformed by the heart journey? Amen. So this, all the people in, in paradox, you know, we, we just know um, that this stuff actually works. Uh, and again, I'm not presenting this other thing. Well, what's the heart journey? It's this other thing outside the Bible. It's really just a different... Uh, name for sanctification for the process of it, but sometimes uh, re reshaping the language of something helps us to look at it from a different perspective and, and see the full picture of that, um, but that's, that's what we are about. So 14 years ago when we planted this church, we planted in Quinana, uh, knowing that we were in a kind of lower socioeconomic uh, community and with a lot of just social uh, brokenness and dysfunction. Um, Really, our heart in planting the church was to see a community transformed. So we wanted to, you know, even used to throw out those lines when they would speak of Jesus, you know, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? I used to say, you know, well, what people might look and say, what good thing could come out of Quinana? And, and my, my hope and expectation was many, many good things uh, and transformation. But, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't just interested in, in kind of having another Sunday service and entertaining a bunch of Christians each week. We wanted to see God move powerfully in people's lives. We wanted to see people radically impacted by Jesus. Um, and not just in individuals, but entire families and communities uh, and just really transformation. We wanted to see transformation. Uh, we, don't, we, didn't want to, we weren't interested in another little kind of Christian cohort uh, happening in a new community. So not long into the journey, we discovered that the tools that we had, that we'd been equipped with in our, in our limited church experience for some of us, um, they weren't sufficient enough to see people have genuine, lasting breakthrough in their lives. So we couldn't simply just invite someone along to a church service on a Sunday, so we might evangelize to someone, say, hey, come along on Sunday, because uh, inevitably, uh, late Saturday night, their aunties, cousins, dogs, neighbor's friend, uh, there was some emergency, some drama, and they had to attend to that thing so they couldn't come the next day. And, and the number of times that this would happen was, uh, was ridiculous. But So that's a, a cultural norm in, in the community that we're in, was, was drama was, was the dominant kind of thing, probably a, a spiritual reality that existed. But we just found, oh, cool, so those normal things, like people keeping a diary and having a schedule and showing up on time, 
was not normal uh, as what it might have been in our past kind of history experience with people. You know, we couldn't just uh, encourage someone, well, here's a Bible, just go away and read that and, and learn about Jesus because people couldn't read uh, or maybe their level of education wasn't enough for them to be able to kind of interpret uh, what can be quite complex um, kind of theological perspectives in that. Um, you know, we couldn't get them even serving within the church community because they were broken and toxic and would have done kind of more damage to other people. And so we kind of knew we need some tools that are going to help people to get, like, get right down into the nitty-gritty of what's actually going on, what is, what's caused them to live in, in these levels of dysfunction and brokenness. And, uh, and so we started kind of on that journey of discovery of, of what, what more do they need apart from a, a nice, healthy Christian community to, to be part of. And obviously, as we've gone on, we've, we've discovered that uh, these tools are very much relevant for... Um, for healthier people on the outside, not just the kind of the broken of the broken, but uh, I think the reality is what we discovered is that everyone is broken, uh, just their brokenness manifests in different ways. I do remember um, we used to help out with an emergency food relief program and I was uh, having a conversation with a, with a lady and she'd been a long-term uh, meth, methylamphetamine addict and, uh, and she was sharing with me, but she had said, oh, yeah, just recently I went to the doctor and I got diagnosed with, with ADHD. And so and then the doctors prescribed me uh, medication for that. And she's like, it's as good as the meth that I was taking. And uh, I came away from that conversation, obviously devastated that this is, again, the pattern of her life, but also recognising that how much of... of the dysfunction that we see in working class communities it ha often has the same root as in maybe more affluent communities. It just expresses itself in a different way. Uh, so for one person, you know, a, a drug addiction is their expression of their brokenness. For another person, a shopping addiction is their expression of their brokenness. Same root, much more socially acceptable outcome, um, but still it's, it's, it's causing the same kind of damage and it's coming from the same brokenness. You just get, you've had someone who's been kind of trained as to how to present themselves well in, in society, uh, and yet you've got someone who doesn't really care about those social norms and, and then is expressing themselves in a much more broken way. So we began searching for more tools that would help equip, equip us, and, and we came across this group called Elijah House Ministries, and, uh, and they are an inner healing or like prayer ministry training program. So it was birthed in the US, I think around the 70s. And uh, we happened to come across um, a, a group that was still kind of operating in Perth. And so I went and got some personal prayer ministry myself. Uh, and then we hosted a, a school, like a training school, uh, to train some of our people uh, in our community. And uh, through this training, uh, like all the tools and the, and the equipping was great, but through the training, we, it kind of opened our eyes, number one, to God's desire to truly transform people, um, but also the need for our inner world to be healed in order for, God to, in order for us to walk in freedom uh, externally. So we, we started to realize, well, we, we, want, we want to see people walking in freedom. How do you measure that? Well, by the fruit on their life. Cool, well, how do we get that fruit and what Elijah House teaches, well, if you want good fruit, you need to go down to the root. On any plant, on any tree, what, is, what comes out in the fruit is drawn from the root system. I even know sometimes in our garden at home and you, you, in the, on a hot day and you're kind of watering the leaves because the thing you think is most obvious is if the leaves get lots of water, they're going to suck in all the water. Uh, oftentimes, if it's really hot, it can do damage to the, to the 
plant because it then kind of focuses in the sun and burns the leaves and stuff. It's actually the roots that draw up the water. It's the leaves that kind of suck the, you know, the photosynthesis, all that sort of stuff. You see my schooling paid off. <laughs> I didn't complete high school. I apologise. I know basic biology, whatever it would be. Geography. Geography. <laughs> Horticulturalism. Um, <clears throat> So we, we started to realize, wow, so it's God's desire to heal, but also there's, there's a way that God has designed us to function in the world. And if we don't live in accordance with God's design, then inevitably things aren't going to work as effectively in our lives. So we love a larger house and we're going to share a bit more about some of those tools that come out of that. And again, we're not here advocating for a larger house or saying you should adopt that or anything. It's really just a tool set that we've found has been really beneficial in helping people. Um, but we also recognize that having people that can do prayer ministry and can, can help people, you know, you could go get an inner healing session and think, that's great, that's fantastic. Um, what we recognize is more than that, we needed to have a culture and a community of people who actually understood their inner world in order that they didn't find themselves constantly having to go and get prayer ministry because of the choices and the decisions that they're making. It's kind of like having doctors is great. We love the medical industry. Um, living a healthy lifestyle is much better. I think if you were seeing your doctor every single week for a different ailment, hopefully your doctor would be saying, hey, we might need to change some things in your lifestyle to stop you showing up here every week. Broken limbs and, you know, I don't know, missing an eyeball or something like that. You'd be going, hey, cool, there's something maybe not right in your everyday life that's causing you to, to need this help all of the time. So like, okay, so what can we do then as a community to help to shape these uh, these uh, perspectives into people so we actually have an understanding of our inner world in order that we can no longer walk in brokenness. We can no longer walk in brokenness, but also generationally then we can learn, well, how do we actually then raise our children in a healthy way so that they're not growing up with the same kind of dysfunctions and perspectives? And as we get more into the larger house stuff, you'll see the significance of childhood, the impact of, of kind of childhood brokenness on uh, even our kind of adult life that we walk in. So for the last 12 years or so, we've been journeying with God to create a community that is equipped to understand their inner world with God. And really our inner world is that place of interaction with God. So we call it the heart journey because for most Christians, the heart is an unexplored place. We, we will study the scriptures, we'll understand all of these realities about God. We might lean more into the, the supernatural uh, expression of God, you know, more charismatic on that end, or maybe more in kind of a theological you know, study of the scriptures end, and, and we love both of those ends of the spectrum. I always encourage people that uh, there's two ways to be balanced. One is to, to not go out on any perspective and to sit on the, on the fulcrum, on the balance point, or to be equally balanced on either end. So we are a spirit and word kind of people as we should be. I think Jesus encourages us too. That's a side note, not in the notes. Freebie for you. Hopefully there won't be too many freebies tonight because I have like 17 pages of notes that I'm not going to get through. Um, but if I keep throwing in freebies, we're, we're going to run out of time very quickly. So it's an unexplored place for people. So we might understand the importance of renewing our minds or dealing with spiritual oppression uh, in, in prayer. We, we understand those sorts of things. Um, 
But when it comes to understanding the why behind what we do, we can often feel lost. We know there's behaviors that are happening in our lives and we don't like them and we know God doesn't like them, but we're not exactly sure, well, what's the source? And the Bible teaches, as I'll get to, that the source is our heart. So if we're not paying attention to that, then we've got this fruit coming out of our lives and we don't know what to do with that apart from keep picking it off and hope no one notices. Um, Yeah, we've got to find a different way to deal with it. So it's a journey to discover our inner world, to understand why we respond to life in the way that we do, and to learn to identify sinful patterns and to be equipped in how to partner with Holy Spirit to see genuine transformation of who we are. I remember early on as, as a church community, we, we started to get the investigative part of the heart journey. We just weren't equipped in the tools as to how to actually figure it out when you get there. So it's kind of like rushing into a trauma scenario and then going, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I imagine if you ran into ED and said, it's okay, I'm here now. And then you're presented with a patient. You're like, I don't, I don't know where to start. I know you put things in your ears and you listen for their heartbeat maybe or, or whatever. So what we discovered is we, we, we would be pushing into people's hearts and they would become unraveled and then we'd go, oh, I don't really know what to do with you uh, right now. And so it, it wasn't great um, early on and people would almost feel like, well, you just keep opening me up and then closing me up again. Uh, and, but thankfully, as we kind of journeyed along, we started to know, okay, when, as that thing opens up and as we do investigation with Holy Spirit in that place, hey, there are some actually some tools and some principles that God has in the scriptures as to how to remedy those things in your heart, those broken places to become whole and heal. So I like to think of the heart as a garden. So there are times in the Bible where Jesus speaks of trees producing good fruit or bad fruit. And like any garden, if we tend to it well, so removing the weeds which stifle the good things being produced, if we invest good things into the soil in order to provide nutrients for growth, if we provide water and sunshine to allow life to be sustained, if we prune back the dead things, to limit energy being wasted on lifeless things, then we'll have a thriving place that produces good fruit for ourselves to enjoy and for others to be blessed by. So the heart is this source of life. It's like this garden and it requires attention. And if you've ever had a garden and you haven't given it attention, it very quickly gets overrun with sometimes the things that you don't want in that garden unhealthy things, weeds which stifle growth that gets overrun or with thorny kind of bushes and things that you just actually don't want in that place. But I think for a lot of the church, the Christian church, we haven't really been presented with the importance of even focusing in on that. We might have come from a perspective that we just got to believe something. You just got to think. You just need your mind renewed with the scriptures. You just need to pray hard. You need to have more faith. You need to do all of these things externally that you can do on your own and hope that God will deal with that side of things. But what we come to understand is actually my heart is my responsibility. The garden is actually my responsibility. I'm not alone in that garden. God is with me and he helps me to tend to it. He's, he's, I partner with God in that process. But I can't just say, well, God, come and you come and fix the stuff that you've given me responsibility to fix. 
So we need to understand that for us to, to walk in freedom and life, Jesus has done his work, his work is finished, but we have a work to do to partner with him to actually see that fruit produced. Amen? So if we ignore the garden of our heart, then the inevitable outcome will be a stifled life overgrown with weeds producing unhealthy fruit. So the heart journey is all about discovering the garden, understanding what belongs and doesn't belong in the garden, and then being equipped with the tools to tend the garden of your heart well. So this isn't a journey of the soul or the mind. Both of these things are important and they have been given, I think, a lot of attention in Christian culture. So we understand, I'm not saying, oh yeah, it's not about the mind and renewing the mind. No, it's absolutely about renewing your mind. <laughs> well, it's not about, you know, your, your, your mind, your will and emotions and in that soul space. No, no, it's, it's the journey with Jesus is absolutely all about that. But what presenting is kind of that missing component of the heart being ignored, being shut down, being disconnected, being left to its own devices. And, uh, and then what we're seeing then, we're not walking in good fruit because we're not tending to the garden of our heart. Is that annoying people? The crackling? Is that better? I can just go back. I can go old school. <clears throat> this also isn't a journey of self-discovery. Uh, it's not about creating kind of uh, inwardly focused people uh, that, uh, you know, naval gazers or anything like that. Um, uh, in particular, the principles of, of Elijah House, one of them is that when you see bad fruit, then you go looking for the root. So if you notice something in your life that's happening, maybe you, you notice yourself getting angry all the time at little things, insignificant things. Now you either say, well, I'm just an angry person as part of my identity. You, you, you take an unhealthy ownership of it. Maybe you say, well, it's everybody else's fault because they keep doing things that make me angry. Uh, and as I said to my children, and which they parrot back to me, I can't make you angry. You know, anger's a choice that you're expressing. You know? So we either, we either do the over-ownership of it, I must just be an angry person, or we do an under-responsible, you know, blaming other people. Or this middle ground is to say, well, there's something going on inside of me that's expressing itself in anger. So that's when I start looking for stuff. You can go on an unhealthy introspective journey uh, with God into the heart space. So we're certainly not encouraging that, but we are encouraging people to be, what does it look like to be a responsible person that when they notice something growing in their garden, and they're like, hey, that doesn't belong here. That's not fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening in my root system that's allowing that thing to grow? Because the beauty is, as soon as you cut something off at the root, everything else dies. And that's what I love about transformation of the heart is that it, just, it deals with something at that level that you don't have to keep trying really hard to stop doing something. It just stops growing in your life because there is no pathway of, of nutrients and life being given to it. So to do the journey well is to walk with the guide, which is the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit-led journey and a spirit-empowered journey. Holy Spirit is our guide on the journey and the gardener of our hearts, and our job is to partner with him. Amen? You writing down questions? Good. All right, so a great question to ask is, well, what is the heart? Um, 
Interestingly, if you study the scriptures, there's, I think there's like a thousand, over a thousand references to the heart in the Bible. Uh, that's a lot. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no diagrams in the scriptures. I wish there really, really wish there was. But, but how do we, what's like body and flesh and mind and soul and heart and spirit and how, how do all of those things kind of work together and intersect? I know they're all connected. So again, when we, when we talk about the heart, we're not saying the heart disconnected from the mind or the soul or the body. Um, you can have things that are going on in your heart that actually impact your physical body uh, in the same way that you know, sin can impact our physical body. Like It's, it's all interconnected. Um, but I, I came across this. It's actually a short video. Um, so we'll need audio on that auxiliary channel um, from The Bible Project. Um, if you haven't come across these guys, they do lots of really great uh, videos, but I just thought we'd watch this because this probably gives a, a far better um, way of explaining it than, uh, than I could. So. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. 
So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So check out the Bible Project, if you haven't come across that stuff, very, very cool. So essentially, the, the heart is the center of our being. Uh, and what we know is that life flows from our heart. And in being given a heart of flesh, we, we have the ability to, to receive life, but also to be impacted negatively in our heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. It's from our heart that life flows, but it's also in our heart that sin lives and is kept alive. If we ignore our hearts or don't understand our hearts, then we can't fully experience life with God and be a conduit for him to work through. If we don't work with God to bring healing, cleansing, and transformation to our hearts, then we will continue to live trapped in sin. Matthew 15, 18 to 19 says, what, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, adultery sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So if sin dwells in our hearts and we want to live free from sin, not just the consequences of sin, then we need to give attention to our hearts. So again, this is where we want to say, well, I know Jesus has paid the price for my sin. That's great. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That's significant. But I don't want to then keep living in that sin. I want to live free from the impact of that sin on my everyday life. Not just, well, thankfully, one day when I stand before him, then he'll pronounce me righteous because of Christ. I want to live in that reality today. So as a result of the fall, our hearts are corrupted by sin and unable to engage fully with God. Proverbs 17.20 says, One whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. But when we're born again by the Holy Spirit, we become a new creation. We're given this new heart, this new way of being able to interact with God. And that's that prophetic expression from Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So pre-Christ, post-Christ, our hearts need healing. So when we become a new creation, our spirit is born again. That's a beautiful, transformative reality, but our hearts stay the same. 
We might be awakened to new desires, awakened to new concepts, awakened to new feelings, but all of those old things are still there. And then the process of our journey with God is, again, tending to that garden to remove those things that don't belong and to give attention to the things that do. So the issue is nobody starts off with a clean slate, unfortunately. A lot of the damage and the unhealthy structures that exist in our hearts are formed when we're young. We respond immaturely to life and often therefore sinfully, and it sets up beliefs and patterns that we carry into adulthood. Our hearts are responding to life before we have the maturity and understanding to make wise decisions. Again, this is why that generational part, as I said before, we, wanna, we don't just want to say, well, hopefully when kids, when they grow up, at least we'll have some prayer ministers to, to deal with all of the junk that we've caused. Uh, you know, I do joke with my wife, you know, we do the best that we can as parents, and for everything else, there's a larger house. It's like, we give them a voucher on their 18th birthday. Here, go have some prayer ministry for all of the things that we missed or did poorly. But, but you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to say, well, at least there's an answer for my, for my kids one day. It's like, no, we, we want to be the kind of parents that create the kind of environment that pours in identity and, and blessing and, and belief and understanding into our children so that they grow up without maybe having to overcome some of the hurdles and obstacles that we had. But the reality is a lot of stuff is formed in childhood because you have the ability to perceive and receive. You don't necessarily have the ability to understand. And to a child, perception is reality. It's the same thing. So whatever they perceive of life becomes their reality. So beliefs are formed in childhood. I mean, you can, they've done studies even into the womb, experiences of babies in the womb, like secular studies they've done of, the, of in utero impact and trauma that can happen to babies. Through, through our early childhood years and those formative years, depending on, and now we could have grown up in a beautiful Christian family with great, amazing Christian parents, but we might perceive their behavior to be something that it wasn't, and then we form a set of beliefs, we form a judgment upon them because of what we perceive their behavior to be. You could have a loving, amazing father who you know, worked away during the week to provide for the family. That was his only option, to work, you know, to be Monday to Friday, to be FIFO somewhere. Now, that child doesn't have the comprehension to understand, well, well of course, Dad had to work, and that was the only work available, and, and he you know, had to fly out, and that's all good, but he provided for our family, and when he was home, he was super present and loved me and blessed me and prayed for me and did all of those things. Potentially, that child's heart says, Dad's never around. Dad's never here when I, when I need him to be here. That's the, that's the perception of the heart of that child, but then they can actually form a framework to say, this is what life with my father was like. They grow up and they, they learn, oh, I understand now what it is. They become a father themselves. I understand what it is to, to be in that scenario. And sometimes you've got to work away and, and you explain it the best that you can to your kids. So I've forgiven my father for not being around. The issue is within that person's heart, they'd already made a determination about what their father was like. And when you make a judgment, and we'll get into this more next week, when you make a judgment, that's a legally binding contract that you make with God. That's why Jesus says, don't judge, or that judgment will come back against you, because you will suffer the consequence of your judgment. Rarely does the person that you judge suffer the consequences of your judgment. It's the same thing with, with unforgiveness. You know, there's that famous saying, um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. 
The reason that God says don't do those things is because it's not good for you. It's not good for your own heart. But what we don't often recognize is that those things that we set up, those patterns that we set up in childhood manifest fruit in adulthood that we don't actually know how to deal with because we actually don't, we can't recognize that the root was right back in there. And again, that's the basic kind of premise for for the Elijah House prayer ministry model. It is simply a facilitated encounter with Jesus that someone helps you to journey through and say, you've got this bad fruit in your life. Holy Spirit knows what the root is. He takes you back to that place of understanding so that you can repent for the sinful choice that you made, even in ignorance, so that you can uproot that place, you can deal with all of the consequences of that, which will then actually immediately stop the fruit being produced in your life. Real simple, and again, don't take that as your full explanation of what prayer ministry is, but I'm just giving you a taster of what we'll, what we'll share uh, more about in the coming weeks. All right. So many things can happen. Sin can corrupt our heart. Just the everyday things of life can impact our heart, even into adulthood, no matter what age you're at. Our hearts can be shut down because of trauma. Sometimes it's too hard to live with the pain, so we just shut down that place of pain that, that exists within us. Um, I've, I've known people who their, their hearts have been shut down. They've just shut their heart down because of trauma. It's too painful to live with, with the memories and with the, with the pain, so they just shut down that whole place and they live from their head. Um, or oftentimes, and it happens probably more in Aussie male culture, is that men don't know their hearts because their hearts are never nurtured because it's more kind of an emotional place and so it's like, oh, we've just got to think the right thing and just work harder and, you know, come on, you know, suck it up and you'll be right and toughen up and do all that sort of thing. And we, we actually ignore the fact that my heart's saying something uh, and it's not being given attention. So we grow up as men, they're not recognizing that there's a whole lot of stuff going on beneath the surface that's not just the emotional expression that's coming out that's generally socially acceptable, which for men is like, well, it's okay for men to be angry, um, maybe happy, depressed, I don't know what the, you know, the socially acceptable things are. But the reality is behind, underneath all of those emotions is a whole raft of, uh, of, of thoughts and beliefs existing in the heart that we never, we're not able, we're not equipped to give attention to. So this is what I found beautifully, it, how it just, it actually exposed the heart to go, wow, there's a whole lot more about me that exists inside of me that no one ever taught me to give attention to. Oftentimes, people can get stuck in immaturity in their heart because of neglect, because of, of rejection, again, because their heart gets shut down. So actually, the problem is you're supposed to mature in your heart, but if, that, if a part of your heart gets shut down, then you can actually not mature in that place. I've seen, I've seen men have tantrums as adults, like behave like children. I've been in a, in, a, in a session chatting with someone. It was, a, it was an older woman who was much older than me. There was a group of us, and we're just talking through things. And all of a sudden, she just started crying out like a, like a five-year-old. I was like, what is going on here? But what had happened in this, in this conflict scenario, this, this part of her that was shut down, this little child part, all of a sudden started to manifest itself. It's like when I see men who are maybe in in violent altercations, especially in when there's uh, like spousal abuse in those environments. You've got people who are essentially having a tantrum. They have, they're having these uncontrolled expressions of emotion similar to what maybe a five-year-old would do. 
so overwhelmed by emotion, they don't have the the kind of mental faculties, they don't have the emotional maturity to be able to process all of those feelings through. So they just burst out and screaming and crying and kicking and doing all of that sort of stuff. But again, when, when the heart is nurtured and matured and given understanding, then the same thing kind of carries on. And you've got adults who are having those same sorts of outbursts. Not, obviously not just men, women can do the same thing. These seemingly uncontrollable outbursts, and again, it'll be blame, or to be, oh, it's, it's, it's all me, I'm just a bad person. But not recognizing, no, there's actually a, a root system there that's causing you to, on the surface, manifest something that's actually much bigger on the inside. We know from Romans 10.9 that beliefs reside in our heart. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So again, even when it comes to our belief in God, we can read something and understand it can make sense to us in our mind, but unless we believe it, it doesn't have a transformative impact. Too often, I know there's a, there's a guy, his name is Neil Cole, who's written a bunch of books on, on the organic church, but he, one of the lines that he says is that the modern church is educated beyond its obedience. So we have all of this knowledge, and today we have access to countless podcasts and teachings. You, can watch, you could watch 10 church services online on a Sunday if you wanted to. And, you know, like we've got all this access to information, and yet the church isn't necessarily living out the expression of Christ on the earth. The kingdom isn't necessarily expanding. The church isn't necessarily growing. People aren't necessarily getting saved and more people coming into the kingdom. The church is on decline, and yet we have more access to all of that information. Because the issue is, I can fill my brain with knowledge, but unless it actually filters down, becomes a belief which then manifests in behavior, nothing changes. So we have all of this education, we lack obedience because we actually don't have the belief in our heart to live in that way. We can read the scripture, oh yes, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider, I believe that he'll provide and be my provision, all that sort of stuff. And it's really easy to say in those times of abundance, it's when the bank account's getting down to zero, you're getting right to the end of the week and the pay, you know, pay hasn't come in, you've got to pay these bills. That's when you will, you will discover what you actually believe about God being your provider. Again, when we live in, in the culture that we live in with so much uh, material abundance, we're often not confronted with our belief systems because we have so many things to distract us. We have so many ways that we can actually avoid what's actually going on in our heart. Well, I don't like that. I can jump on my phone. I can turn on the TV. I can listen to music. I can listen to a podcast. I can go for a run at the beach. I can do all of these things to actually avoid all of the chaos that's happening in my internal world. And we become really, really good at avoiding our own brokenness. We, we avoid ourselves. Or is that just me? No? Okay. I was literally playing Candy Crush today thinking, I'm just avoiding. <laughs> so it happens. At least I knew what I was doing. Um, Luke 6, 43 to 45 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of their heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Now, again, when we look at that scripture from the place of like, am I a good person or a bad person, dependent upon whether has Jesus died for my sin, has he imputed his righteousness to me, and I've now I'm righteous before God. Okay, that's, that's, your, that's your justification. I'm right before God. But then what happens as I live out my life past that point? Because then we start looking at, well, it kind of gives that different perspective on bad fruit. Does that mean I'm a bad person? Does that mean God doesn't love me and I haven't received salvation? No, 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 not at all. (laughs) The finished work of Christ is finished. If he's applied salvation to you, that's his work that he's chosen to do. So you you can't erase that. But now the bad fruit kind of takes on a different perspective. So now I'm looking at the bad fruit in my life, not going, does this make me a bad, horrible person? It's like, no, 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 you, you've, you've been made righteous in Christ. But now your journey is to look at, but, so where is that fruit coming from? Because I don't want to live with bad fruit in my life. I want, I want God to be expressing himself through me to the fullest measure. So I'm not condemned by bad fruit in my life. But I'm foolish to ignore it and pretend it's not there or just hope that it goes away. Whereas a responsible person would say, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get to the root of this problem. So God desires to and is able to heal our wounded hearts. Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, we know Jesus did that, I think, physically and metaphorically. Both of those things exist there. But God's desire is to to bind up our broken hearts, to to bring change and transformation. And really, when we talk about the heart journey, we talk about heart transformation. It's just another word for sanctification. There might be a word you're more familiar with. So we have been justified. And I love that way of understanding justification just as if I'd never sinned. So that's what you are. Your standing before God is justified just as if I'd never sinned. When God looks upon you, he doesn't see you as you once were. You've been born again. Christ's righteousness has been applied to you. You have right standing with God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. It's all done. It's finished. It's his work. You have received it. It's a free gift of salvation from Jesus. Amen? Amen. So cool. Bang. Foundation laid. Done. We can move on. Many people can't. They get stuck there. But I'm just saying, we we can. So now what we're talking about, what happens from that point? Well, the reality is we are being sanctified and we will one day be glorified with God when Jesus returns. So the transformation, sanctification is the transformation of the inner person that manifests outwardly in our lives. So it's not about just changing outward behaviors. We can try our hardest to be good, but eventually whatever's in our heart will come out. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life following Jesus. You really, really want to follow him. You really, really want to walk in righteousness. And then you find yourself often doing the thing that you don't want to do. Even the Apostle Paul laments this in the book of Romans. He's like, you know, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he just finishes the letter there. Doesn't give an answer. (sighs) No, he says, praise be to Jesus. Like, there's an answer. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will. And he does. And he's still doing it today. He continues to do it. And he wants to do it for you. And he wants to do it for me. It's his desire to do that in us. 
You know, so when we have outbursts or breakdowns or triggers, these are all moments when our hearts overflow with what's really going on inside of us. If we deal with the heart of the issue, then the issue will cease to exist. It's a beautiful thing. It seems too good to be true, but it absolutely works. I've seen transformation in my life of things where I used to live with a lot of low-level anxiety. I didn't even, it was that degree, I didn't even recognize it, but I used to do a whole lot of things to control my environment, essentially to manage my anxiety. And it made me quite selfish then in certain scenarios. I think I was sharing the other week, it would be like if, if there was a, a buffet of food, you know, like we were at a party or something like that. I would have, I would like, I've got to be first in line because I, I don't want to miss out on food. And that was, that was rooted in, in childhood trauma where I came to this understanding that I've got to look after myself. Now, again, I was in a loving, caring, fully provided family, but my heart made a decision that I, I need to look after myself. So it meant that even as an adult, I find myself like, it's like there's plenty of food for all of the people that are here. If I'm not first in line, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. Even if I don't get a massively full bloated belly, I'm still going to be okay. But there was something inside of me that, that created this anxiety. It's like, I have, to, I have to do this. I have to make sure that I'm there, otherwise I'm going to miss out. And again, I've cut through the full story of my... I can, but I won't for time. But then through prayer ministry, recognizing that, repenting of believing that lie and, and, and doing all of those things, all of a sudden I found myself, I'm just free. Sometimes I'm front of the line because I'm like, well, that was really tasty. Um, but, you know, like it's not, it's not driven by anxiety. I used to overpack when I traveled because I would be concerned that if I, if I get to this place and I don't have all of the things that I need, I'm going to be stuck and it's going to be bad. So I'd pack all of this extra stuff that I really didn't need and didn't use just to make myself feel safe, to remove that sense of anxiety. So again, something's going on in my heart that's not, that doesn't make sense in the natural Again, God deals with that root system. Now I'm like, now I get the concern on the other direction. I'm like, I haven't even packed yet. We're about to leave, and uh, I hope I've got stuff. I don't know where we went. We'd like forgot towels or something like basic like that. So now it's maybe it's not helpful on the other side of things, but uh, much better than living with anxiety. That's for sure. So we know Jesus dealt with the power of sin. The power of sin may be broken in our lives, but our partnership with sin can remain. So Jesus has broken the power of sin, but we need to break our partnership with sin. And the issue is when we make determinations in our heart, when we make judgments, when we do these things, we are actually partnering with sin and we're binding ourselves to sin in a way that we can't avoid the fruit coming out of our lives because it's, coming out, it's flowing out of this root system in our heart. Who wants a five-minute break? Yeah? Five-minute break, come back, quarter past. Sorry if I, I don't want to, this is so much good stuff I want to share with you, but I also don't want to bombard you with too much. So I just have five minutes, and then we'll come back and, uh, and carry on a bit more. <laughs>